The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the Law Offices of Jacob M. Ronnie. Accident or injury, call Jacob M. Ronnie. Call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Kalinsky. Sue Baloo, what's happening? I'm all just frazzled. Frazzled? What are you frazzled from? Well, because it's it's darker earlier, and this yeah. is the first time that we've done a podcast with the time change, so it's very dark in here. It's, so I'm it to- sucks. I'll be honest. I like driving home tonight. I mean, aside from the freeway melting, Apparently, the 10 just melted over the weekend, and I just heard three to five weeks it's going to take to fix it. Well, so, they, said it was, they said it was arson. Yeah, I, I believe it. I believe it. Uh, that yeah. pallet thing, but terrible, terrible. And it's going to be a pain in the ass for the next you know, month, month and a half. So what time did you have to leave to go to work today? I left at the normal time, and I took surface streets all the way. I took Venice all the way downtown uh, because the okay. 10 going east is the problem. 10 coming west was no problem at all. Oh, okay. So, But I hate the getting dark early. I just, I hate that. It's, it's I don't know why we do it. Why do we go through it? What's the point of daylight savings time? It used to be for farmers. Who the fuck cares about farmers? I mean, I know, I know they're... About- well, well, that's not very nice. <laughs> well, but I mean, they can work around our schedule. Right. Well, there are states. What is it? Arizona and, and, and where else? Indiana. Indi- oh, yeah. Indiana. Yeah, Indiana. Yeah, farmers should work around the rest what of our Arizona? State. There's no farming in Arizona. No, none there? whatsoever. Yeah, it's supposed to be a farmer thing. So how did they get belonged on to the Indiana? They just opted out. Like, we don't. We want it to be light later. That's what they decide. So anyway, it sucks. I think- well, well, I think we have to uh, get a petition going around. About getting rid of daylight savings time? Yeah. Yeah. We'll work on that. Okay. So we always start with uh, personal stories, Sue. You had some, what did you have going on? Well. Oh, um, I should mention, by the way, before you start, Rita Rudner, the great Rita Rudner is going to be with us in a couple of minutes. Sorry about that. Yes. It's okay. Very excited. Very, yeah. very excited to talk to Rita. So, um I told you that Tom and I are teaching ourselves how to play ukulele, right? Did I tell yeah, you that? Yes. Okay. So he's been, he, he, this, he, he's actually at a lesson today. So he's, this is his second lesson. I'm just learning from watching stuff online. We went to this ukulele um, taping of a group of people who played ukulele. We met on the beach in Long Beach. Yeah. And we got sheet music and it was people all different levels. And uh, we played a song that Grace Slick wrote. Okay. And, and they, they're filming these sessions, I guess, all over the country and they're going to edit it together and then they're going to sell it. And the money is going to go to Lahaina, go, go to Maui. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's nice. Which is really cool. So really fun. It was maybe like, I don't know, 30-something people there. Right. Ukuleles, what were they calling them? There was one that was um, 
a, a banjo or something. It was a banjo ukulele. Someone had like a mandolin ukulele. A, 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 I don't even know how you would say it, a mandolin or something. So after we, we did it a bunch of times, okay. the woman who put this whole thing together with Grace Slick is actually friends with Grace Slick. She was the one who led um, the, the, everybody playing and, and, and took us so, through the Okay, song. I just want to be clear. So Grace Slick is leading you in ukulele. Great. Grace Slick was not there. Okay. She wrote the song. Got it. But, but after we did a bunch of takes, the woman who, who headed up the whole thing is friends with her and she's a drum teacher, but she plays ukulele as well. She called Grace Slick, who lived, she lives in Malibu. Okay. And put it on speakerphone and Grace Slick thanked everybody for coming. And it was the coolest thing in the world. Wow. That is really weird. So wait a minute. So you go to ukulele camp. It was just one day. It was, it was like it was like for an hour no it wasn't like it wasn't like a lesson or anything they there was something tom found online that right. they were going to be doing this event and anybody who has a ukulele and, and has nothing to do with what level you're at everybody just come down um they had you know they had the you know the staff with with the song and you know where to change you know chords. yeah right right and um well let me ask you something what is your what is your level on ukulele well i'm a beginner but you know i'm learning songs i know (laughs) you are my sunshine you are my sunshine it's very nice now when do you intend to debut your ukulele skills on the culture pop podcast oh i'm i'm probably within you know next couple of weeks okay good yeah good we'll get we should ask grace slick onto the show she would be an unbelievable guest. She would be. Yeah, she would be. Um, yeah, I. You know, it's funny. My uh, manager. I have a manager slash agent type person. I, I think she's mm-hmm. my acting agent. For you don't all, know. Yeah, I think she's my acting agent. Um, does she? Does is she acting? Is she? Is she doing stuff? Yeah, I mean, I, I get auditions from her, and then I pre tape or home tape them, and all that stuff. What do you um, get auditions for? Like voiceover stuff? No, like uh, like acting jobs. You do? Yeah. How do I not know this? I they'll they'll send me uh, uh, sides, and I will do them for the camera here in the studio, and we'll send them off to the agent. I do probably three a month, maybe. I haven't booked anything really good. What 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 have you auditioned for? Um, anything we would know? Or they like uh, yeah, industrial for, kind of things? I auditioned things? like three times for the morning show. You get, what character? I, I a less a, a small character, a small character. But that was a show that apparently they liked my look or whatever. Who sure. wouldn't? Who wouldn't at this point? Yeah, you got the you got the uh, morning show hair. I do, I do. Um, you know, we were talking today um, on the radio about Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. And it came out this weekend that Patrick Mahomes always wears the same pair of red underwear when he plays quarterback on Sundays. I read that. Which is crazy, right? And so crazy. we were talking about superstitions. I didn't get to share this on the air because it's confusing. So I am fixated on odd numbers and believe they are lucky and even numbers are unlucky. 
So for example, when I set the thermostat in the house at night, I don't set it for 70. I set it for either 71 or 69. When I'm setting the volume on the TV, and mm-hmm. you know how there's those numbers? Mm-hmm. It can be 33, it can be 35, it can be 37, but it can never be an even number. And my house, odd number, I've only lived in odd number houses. I've never lived in an even number address. And and then, and and is that because you would never live in a house that had an even number? It's because it just so it just worked out that way. Doesn't feel lucky. I'm sure on some level I've passed on when I was in the market for a house, passed on places that were even number places. And it's a little, it's a little weird. And here's the weird part. Okay. So before my dad died, he was, we were watching a game and he was playing with the volume and he, he was doing, he's got it at 31. He said, I'm going to make it a little louder. goes to 33. And I said, why didn't you go to 32? He said, cause I only do odd numbers. I'm like, oh my God, this is like something that's inherited. Oh, so you, inher- you, you inherited it. The, the odd number fixation came from my dad and maybe like a genetic thing. I have something like that with my mother. What is it? My mother, if she ever left the house and forgot something, and she had to go back inside, she would get it and then sit down just for a couple of seconds and then go back out again. Okay. But she had to sit down. So I, if I forget something and I go back in the house, I have to sit down before I go out again. Okay. Let me ask you, is that a learned behavior or is that a behavior that could be passed on like in your genes? Well, I, I, how do you know that? I don't well, know. Well, if you always saw your mom do it, you might start doing it. Um, you know, I don't really remember seeing her do it that much. I just know that she did it. Wow. It's a weird one. Genetics weird are weird. One. I don't understand half of it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's bring on our guest. So after beginning her career as a Broadway dancer, our guest today made her first network television stand-up comedy appearance in 1982 on David Letterman. Since then, she's done comedy specials, including Rita Rudner, Married Without Children for HBO. As an author, she's written four books, including Tickled Pink and I Still Have It, I Just Can't Remember Where I Put It. She's performing at the South Point Casino in Las Vegas on November 28th, 29th, and 30th. Rita, thank you so much for coming on. It's an honor to have you on. I'm a huge fan. Well, I only did it because you're going to pay me, and uh, I think it's $100,000. Wow. Yeah. So I, I just do it for the money. Sue works in payroll. Oh, okay. Hi, Sue. <laughs> nice to see you. Rita. I've always loved you. Oh, <laughs> I've always loved always you. Been friends and we, we always, we were at Catch a Rising Star night after night after night after night in um, New York. And it was really fun. And now what is it? It's just completely gone. It's demolished. But, you know, times change. Yeah, they do. You, you know what? Who would have thought out of the three main clubs in New York that the comic strip would be the last one standing? I don't know. I mean, that was almost falling down when we were there. Is the Comedy Cellar still there? Comedy Cellar is still there. And um, they have like six rooms now in like like a mile or so radius in the village. Oh, okie dokie. Well, I have to go back there sometime, but I haven't been back to New York 
since um, right before the pandemic, because I'm afraid now because it won't be as beautiful as it was when I used to love it. But I, it probably is. But let's just talk about comedy. Yeah, or we will sports. do that. Comedy we will sports. Do that. That's going to be a new thing. Funny that my husband, before I met him, he worked in Australia. He was a producer and he did the Harlem Globetrotters there. So I did comedy really? sports together. I pushed them right together like that. You, that is, that's an unbelievable. Uh, did, did you like the Globetrotters? Did you see them play? Of course I did. And okay, because I'm really, really old and I, and I lived in um, New York in a place called One Lincoln Plaza and Spencer Haywood and Walt Frazier and Earl Monroe were all there in my building. And um, I and I used to go to the Knicks all the time. And I think Willis Reed was there. Well, I used to meet them all in my building. It was so exciting. Wow, that's amazing. Amazing. Yeah, I think Spencer Haywood came on to me once. <laughs> I'm not sure. Because yeah. I was taking care of my, my neighbor's um, little dog named Happy. And I was in the elevator with Spencer Haywood. And he said... Um, is what's your dog's name? And I said, it's happy. And I said, and he said, are you always happy too? And I said, well, this is my floor. So I don't know. Was that, was that a come, was that a come on? I, I, I believe, I believe he was. Yeah. I believe yeah, he was being that, fresh that'll with pass. You. That'll pass. That'll come was on. that something? I mean, I didn't really stay in the elevator because it was the elevator. I would, to, for me to stay in would be silly. The door. Yes, open, it would. You know, but, yeah. so I don't really didn't have time to find out his his motive, but I just remember that uh, exchange. Are you happy too? And this is my floor. There you go. <laughs> yes, I'm happy to get out of the elevator. Yeah, and oh, I once did uh, the worst. I I was I'm terrible at at baseball, and I remember Lenny Schultz. Do so you remember Lenny Schultz? Sure. Lenny Montilla, and they that was the um, William Morris against Catch a Rising Star in um central park and mm -hmm. um they decided to try to let me play i'd never played baseball i was i was in ballet you know i was a dancer so all of a sudden lenny schultz is pitching to me and i swear he practically had to put the ball on the bat for me to <laughs> hit it for three inches and buddy mantia got so angry at me because he has a temper so anyway <laughs> so that was my that was my baseball experience excellent well, you've had, we're, we're big baseball fans. So, uh, I like baseball, but I, I couldn't play it. And I love tennis. And I was just in the desert. We got back yesterday because we play golf. Martin yeah. You're I. playing, in fact, you're playing a show at the uh, McCallum Theater, right? I am. I'm there. And I think it's January 7th. See, you knew. I didn't know. Yeah. But I I'm, did some homework. I played that like, I don't know, seven or eight times. And I love it there because I have a house there. And I can just go home because otherwise, oh, you know, I love doing my show, but getting to the show is so upsetting now with airlines and stuff. And yeah. uh, so, you know, when you have to get to yes. the show. So I keep getting booked in Florida and I live in California. Can I like even Chicago? I would love just a little Chicago in there, but it's, I'm going to go to Florida like six times this year, but you know, I have a big book like this thick, so it's okay. Yeah. Well, it's always like the pre-show kind of stuff. Like I used to do a lot of gigs with Carol Leeper and we were in Arizona and every night before the show, we would say to each other, I hope the club burned down. I hope the club burned down. <laughs> well, with me now, I have to get there an hour, a day early because the airlines are so un unreliable that I've got to spend a day, you know, watching MSNBC. So that's what I do. As long as they have a gym 
and uh, or sports. I'm a big a tennis, sports, and golf. No, not so much. I have a joke about golf. You want to hear it? Yeah, please. Yes, because okay, it's so so good to tell jokes when you say I'm going to tell a joke. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a good setup. I like that. Joke, it's uplifting and it makes everyone laugh spontaneously. So never mind. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Save it for later. Uh, when perhaps pop, pop it on it's when we're not expecting it oh when i'm not expecting it okay <laughs> when, yeah well yeah, yeah just like throw it out when we okay, least expect the other it day i got a birdie and a ducky and a fishy there i did it i like that <laughs> joke and i said it and it's easy to say and it just I, isn't that a fun i love saying that joke that is a good joke well, I, I i my my only golf joke i had was when i first started playing i said that on how bad i was and i said i don't yell for i yell fuck <laughs> oh that's good i like yeah. that that's very good, but that's why we didn't. Um, we when we we're looking for houses, we didn't want to get a house near a T, because you just hear all the people, you know, flat, flat, what is it, flagellation, self-flagellating? Self-flagellating? Yeah, did I say it right? I it you is know? a word. I how yeah, does I'm trying they, to think. They're beating themselves up. They didn't do a good enough job. Oh yeah, so, yeah, you yeah. Know, I'd wake up and you'd wake up in the morning and hear, "I'm a douchebag," like that. <laughs> so I don't want to hear that. So we said, no, not near the T. So I want to ask a question. Okay. So according to Wikipedia, so, you know, this could be totally not true, but it says you left home when you were 15 years old. I did. I left home. So what, what was going through your teenage mind that made you well, leave? Well, what was going through my father's mind? That's the thing. Because... <laughs> Well, okay. I had extenuating circumstances. My mother had died and my father had married someone who didn't like me. Mm. So, and I was always, I started school early and I did, I was good in school and I did 11th and 12th grades together. I wanted to be a ballet dancer. I was in ballet companies when I was 11, 12, 13. Um, I started working professionally in a show on on Miami Beach. I skipped school and I took three buses. I was a mess. All I wanted to do was be a dancer on Broadway. So I said, how am I going to be a dancer on Broadway? I've got to move to New York. So I moved to New, <laughs> moved to New York. And when I was 16, I got a job in Zorba um, on going on the road around, around the country, which was really fun, and came back. And then I was in Promises, Promises. And I worked on Broadway for 10 years. And it was really fun until one day I was in Annie and I said, I'm not getting any better, um, uh, you know, because I'm 27. You don't get to be a better dancer. 30, it's over. And there were so many good singers and I was way too shy to be an actress. So I said, well, there aren't many stand-up comedians who are female. I'll try that. So that's how it started. And that was wow. that's, that's my autobiography. It's so short. Yeah. And it was, was good, though. And was Catch a Rising Star the first place you went to? No. The improv. And I sat on the, um, the pavement because I was in Annie. And I didn't want to, it, it, I had to stay on the West side because otherwise I'd have to transfer on the buses and it would take me a really long time. And also there was a place right across from, it was then the Albin Theater called Ye Old Triple Inn. And mm -hmm. people were starting to have like one night comedy nights. And um, it was right across the street. So I'm very um, location driven. So <laughs> it has to be convenient. <laughs> it has to be convenient. <laughs> it wasn't in Miami. It was across the street. So I would go and I would try jokes there. And that was dangerous because there was a dartboard right next to the, the stage. <laughs> and people had been drinking. You were taking your life in your hands. And I had paid for a Diet Coke because I wasn't drinking yet like I am now. And um, <laughs> then I would go. Then there was the piano bar 
on the way to the improv too. And there are all these little places where I had microphones one night a week. So that's where I started. And then I got in the, got in the improv. Okay. I want to ask you, um, at the old triple in with the dart, were they playing darts while you were on stage? Yeah, Cause I've done, yeah, I've done gigs like that. Yeah. Where oh, they yeah. had, where they had like the, um, you know, because disco preceded stand up. So there were some rooms that were disco and they still had the disco ball. Uh -huh. And there were, there were gigs that I did where they kept the ball on while you were on stage. <laughs> oh, that would be lovely. I remember one gig, a Jerry Stanley gig, where they, it was their a big, never do a show where they're like these big barrels of peanuts. <laughs> I think you know it happened. <laughs> when it, when it, you know, I did, they were fun though. Didn't you have fun? I loved it. I yeah. loved it every night. I love doing these stupid gigs. I love going from club to club because you don't do it for the money. I mean, I said I was doing it for six months before I found out you'd get a hamburger or <laughs> you know, you could get dinner for free if you went on. So right, get dinner, dinner and a drink, right? Yeah. Well, I, again, I wasn't, I, I wish I could go back, get some of those drinks, but um, they could get uh, a spinach salad or a hamburger. And I, I like both of those things. So there you go. And I was fed. I was. Well, you were fed. you were doing this before a lot of women were doing it. What? Well, when, uh, when I started, it was basically Joan Rivers and um, Phyllis Diller were the two main comedians that I knew about that were right. um, that were really really famous. So I said, oh my gosh, maybe there's more room in that category. And I did because I wasn't ever funny. I was just very quiet. And I said, well, maybe I can learn how to be funny. So then that's what I did. And I like it. I really, I still love it. I still love doing it like I'm doing Vegas um, week after Thanksgiving. Yep. And then I'm doing, again, I'm, then I'm going to, to Florida again. Nice, <laughs> nice. I work for this very, very wonderful lady who's a, a philanthropist. And and uh, I work for her a few times a year in, in Florida. And then um, I'm doing the, the McCollum. And for some reason, then I'm working with Jay Leno for, he asked me to do a gig with him. So oh, I think nice. Was, yeah. No, cool. So I, I, I don't work nearly as much anymore, but I still love it. I love every time I get to do it, but I only do things that are fun. So what was it like when you got the first call to appear on David Letterman, your first well, it's network not shot? not really a call. You know, um, Bob Morton was the age, the booking comedy agent. And he would come around the, the catch rising star and kind of look at people. But I think I did before. I can't remember if I did Rodney Dangerfield before that. The young comedian. Oh, the HBO special, right? The young, was the young, young comedian, comedian special. Yeah. So anyway, so you kind of do that. And then if you have a really good set, then they come and they see you again and again. And then they, then you get a booking. So it was really, really, really exciting because before that, I really had never had a thought. I mean, I didn't talk. I, I was a dancer. They told me where to put my legs, singer, what, how to sing, actress, what to say. And all of a sudden I was on TV and I was saying things I thought of and it was really fulfilling. So I said, that's what I have to do. I have to keep doing this because I, I was just, I remember we're making $15 once um, at Catch Your Eyes and Star and it really meant a lot to me that somebody would pay me $15 to say something I thought of. So. That's why I kept doing it. You know, you you were so, you were the only woman that did stand up of of our generation that was was so elegant on stage. 
you dread me. I, I don't. I don't know. Like the very, very beginning of when you did stand up, but when I first started seeing yeah. you, well, that's um, after you met wore Martin. you wore you wore dresses on stage. You after know, I met Martin. Martin, because that's how I met him. He's a producer, my husband, and he said, "You know, people are looking at you, and you're wearing that." He said, "I look like a Jewish cowgirl." So he said, "You've got to stop wearing these." I was in my my like boots and and jeans. I mean, uh, leather jacket. I was just I don't know. I just it wasn't that's what I was. Mm -hmm. So I, I was comfortable, and they said, "He said, don't be comfortable. People are looking at you." And why don't you wear something? So he said, we're going shopping. And then he started picking out clothes. And that kind of, because he said, you don't have a hook. I'm not marrying a comedian without a hook. So uh, <laughs> 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 everybody has a hook and you have no hook. So why don't you be the girl who wears the gowns? So I said, okay, sounds good. And I started wearing gowns. So yeah. really, I have nothing to do with myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've worked a lot with your husband right i still do yes we have a new project that we're hoping will go somewhere but um you did uh, peter's we friends we wrote that together he directed movies we, we wrote movies in hollywood for 10 years um after peter's friends and you know it and we sold lots of scripts but it gets even though it was financially rewarding it really was emotionally demeaning Hmm. Because you were really like people would say, someone needs to get shot on page 15, you figure it out. And then, you know, you go and you write the script, they go, that's not why. I said, well, why do you do it? You know, uh. <laughs> so it, it, there was at one point when um, Martin and I got hired to rewrite um, Green Acres, to update Green Acres. And by this point, we'd written a lot of movies and we had a system where we did like a planner where we, before we wrote things, we did a planner that got approved. So when we would show up with the script, they wouldn't say, oh, this is the totally wrong because we wanted them to know what the direction we were heading and what we had in mind. So we went into this meeting and we had handed in the script after we worked on it for, you know, uh, two months or three months or whatever it was. And after we'd done the planner, she'd approved it. And she said, well, this is just, this is totally wrong. This is not what I had in mind. And I said, well, what about the planner? She said, oh, I didn't read that. So I said, <laughs> I said I just, and I just, I said, I can't, I said, I just can't. I can't, Martin. I can't do it anymore. I'm just, I, I'd rather, and Martin was always, let's just give back the money. Let's just give back the money. So I said, this isn't healthy. <laughs> I said, this isn't healthy. So I always had been working in Las Vegas and it always worked for me. And there's a uh, Linda Opes, who was a producer we worked for. I um, love Linda Opes. She's yes, great. And I loved right. her too. And she wrote this book and there was a saying, ride the horse in the direction it's going. Oh, I use that quote all no, don't, the don't time. Don't you love that quote? I it's love it. It's a great quote. Yeah. So my horse kept going to Las Vegas. And every time I go to Las Vegas, everybody was nice to me. I'd sell out. People would laugh. They'd pay me a lot of money. So when I got the call and they wanted to build me my own theater in Las Vegas, we said, yes. And we just sold the house. We sold the furniture. We sold the dishes. We sold everything. We just said, we're just starting all over. And we moved to Las Vegas. And then I was, I did really well there for, I, I don't know, 15 years or whatever it was. And it was wonderful because we adopted a baby. Yeah. And, um, we, I was able to raise a child again, location, location, location. From my apartment, I could see where I had to go because I don't have a good sense of direction. I would go to the theater. I saw the sign. I, I pulled in. 
And then I could see the other sign. It was a high rise and I'd go back and I could still be a mother and I could still do my act. And the audience had jet lag and I was well rested. <laughs> now, yes. do you find like, like, how do you compare like Vegas audiences to the rest of the country? Are they it's a, it's a different? Good, it's no, because it's a, 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 a composition of the rest of the country because everybody comes to Las Vegas from different places. And you know, the best audience you can get is an audience who there uh, is diverse because, you know, when I do conventions and I play everybody from the phone company, if about the minute I have a joke about a phone, everybody laughs and then they want to go to lunch. So, um, when you have a, an audience that comes from all different places, all different religions, all different, you know, walks of life, it's just a wonderful audience. So I always like working in Las Vegas. So you have said that you studied Woody Allen. Oh, yes. So why Woody Allen and what impact did he have on your comedy? Well, I had to say I was I'm very introverted. I'm not as introverted now because I don't care. Um, but then I was <laughs> self-conscious. I said, um, you know, Joan Rivers and Phyllis Diller were very aggressive comedians. And I, I there's no way I could do that. So. I said, well, I'm more, I'm quiet and I'm Jewish. Who do I know is quiet and Jewish? Woody Allen. And then my mother, um, had like Jeff Benny when he was, um, you know, doing his television show. So I said, I remember them laughing at that. So let's look at that. And then I, so I kind of modeled myself after Woody Allen and Jack Benny because he didn't look like he was funny. And Woody Allen was a really good joke writer. And I would sit, I just would diagram jokes and figure it out. So I could figure out why people laughed and why, you know, so, and I just really found that interesting. And it was totally dormant till I was like 27, 28. And cause I didn't, I didn't talk. And then I did. So do you think but of I it in the- terms of structure of joke? Like you yeah. said, diagrammed a structure. Yeah. Why people, why, what makes, it's always surprise, but you get to the surprise in a different way. you got to keep coming at it from different angles and different formulas, but it always had, it's always an element of surprise and connection that makes a joke like electricity. That's why puns don't work because puns are, go into themselves. So you don't get a hot, you get a mm, like that. So, um, like dad jokes. Oh God. Yes. But that's why you go, mm, because it's a, it, it's, it goes in on itself instead of, Exploding. What I love about see how boring I can be. No, 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 not at all. No, no, no. This is interesting. I'm sure it's interesting to a lot of people. Your jokes to me have no fat. You know, if if, and I try to have fat. I want to have fat so much. You don't have fat. It's just your jokes are just so beautifully structured. I'm gonna. um, There's a joke. What say say that say what? I tried so hard to have fat because, like Jerry Seinfeld, I remember he came up to me and he said. Rita, you're writing too many jokes at the beginning and you're not having enough words because you're going to run out. You got to have more at the beginning and talk to them more because then you don't have to write it. I mean, and he's so smart, Jerry. I mean, he knows exactly yes. what he's doing every single second. So I really try, but I have to, because I'm not, I, I, I'm not very outgoing. I always have to rely on the joke and I'm, but I keep trying not to. I try. I try. Okay. To me, all right, this is perfectly crafted joke that I saw online the other day. So it was during the pandemic and you were talking about the economy tanking and your setup was, I, I got an investment counselor. He asked me, what's my risk tolerance? Mm-hmm. And, and then, then he said, 
what money are you comfortable, comfortable losing? losing? And, and I you said, your money. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great joke. It's just but, clean and but classic. It's true. And-, and it came from truth because that's what, that's what they asked me. When Martin and I went to this investment counselor, they said, what money are you comfortable losing? I said, what business are you in? You know? <laughs> I, I did. I maybe I, I went into the wrong office. I'm in the making money investment office, and I'm in the lose. Now I'm in the losing money. <laughs> so that's another thing. When I was reading all about comedy, because I always used to go to the library and read everything I could find about you know autobiographies and and you know books that comedians had written. And Mel Brooks said, "If you start from the truth, at least you've started," which is. When he, what, when he stares at a piece of paper and it's so scary and there's nothing there, start from the truth. So that's what I always try to do is start from the truth and then go from there. Because And then you, you kind of have to mess it up a little bit or exaggerate or have a recognition joke or a rule of three or, um, you know, uh, out priority or something like that. So, so much of your comedy comes from your life, your family. You said it starts from truth, your life, your family, your friends, all that stuff. And I, I do a radio show every day for three and a half hours. And I, gosh, you're, you're good. And, and I talk about my friends, my family, everything. And I don't necessarily ask permission. I just go. Do you ask permission ever for a joke from, from family, from friends? Only from my husband, um, uh, and my daughter, because, uh, I, I would never, it's very easy to think of a new joke. It's, it's not so easy to get a new husband and a new daughter. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, um, there was only one joke Martin didn't like that. And I never said it again. I can't even remember what it was. And one Molly, um, because I didn't put Molly in my app right away because I said, you know, Martin signed up for it. He's a comedy producer. He's an adult. Molly didn't sign up to be in somebody's act. So the first time Molly saw my act in Vegas when she's like six or seven, and she said, Mommy, you talk about that all the time. You never mention me. And I said, I will if you think it's okay. And she said, I want you to mention me. So I said, <laughs> five new minutes. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah, so uh, I, I put her in the act. But, I, you know, I'm, I do more of, you know, jokes that don't really want, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I just yeah. don't want to. Yeah. Like I used to have a joke about uh, a long time ago where I said, no one's happy with their hair. Um, people with curly hair want straight and people with straight want curly and bald people want everyone to be blind. And, you know, <laughs> and I, uh, and I, and I stopped saying it because they were bald people in the front. Yes. And I was upset that I was upsetting them. So I never said it again, but I, I just, you know, you got to feel comfortable with what you're saying, even though, see, I could get a laugh with it. I just, yeah. Yeah. Well, we live in such a different era now than when you when you started. Yeah, but I'm still in the old era. I haven't changed. Well, yeah, has it changed with you? In other words, are are things that you would have said a long time ago things that you wouldn't say now? I've changed because I used to have the word fat in my act because I used to refer to myself as fat, and I've changed it to delicious. So I just whenever I have the word fat in the punchline, I say delicious. Yeah, I I say when I have to tell a story that involves somebody who say I always say body positive. They're body uh, positive. A body positive. Well, I just say delicious. And delicious is great. It keeps coming up well, whenever the fact. And I have a little dog and this, and I got during the pandemic and I'll just show you because she's right over here. Hang on. Yeah, please. <laughs> we love dogs. Your dog has never made an appearance on the podcast, Sue. No. One of these days. Oh, oh hi. 
And we what's got your do- what's your dog's name? Betsy. Hi, Betsy. Betsy. But um, and this came from truth too. She's a rescue, and they found her on the streets of L.A. She weighed seven pounds. Mm. Uh, um, she was had it well. well she had a broken leg, weighed seven pounds, and had an unproduced screenplay. And it was very- <laughs> <laughs> like everybody else in LA, huh? Yeah, yeah. So, but well, it, comes, it, it comes from the truth because um, a dog from LA would have an <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, when I, I got a dog many, many years ago with my then boyfriend, Kenny Ober, who you knew. Yeah. So, so we, uh, we went. We saw an ad for this dog that was up for adoption. It was at a pet store. We go there. We sign. Uh, we fill out an application. A couple of days go by. We don't hear anything. We're like, what is the deal? Are we not good parents? Like, why aren't they contacting us? We call them up. They said that the dog switched agents. Ah. He, he, switched, he, switched, he switched agencies. And I said, only in L.A., would a dog switch agencies? I said, what were they sending him out as a cat? Like, ah, he was, he was, he was unhappy with his representation. Oh, that's so funny. I love that. It went from ICM to William Morris. But um, I had a gardener quit because my, um, my lawn wasn't challenging enough. And he found Danny DeVito's lawn much more interesting. It's LA. It is a crazy town. Yes. So, but that's, we don't live it, the traffic and the things and no. It's interesting to know the background of your dog. Like, you know, the story of your dog. I I don't know the story of one of my dogs was, who was a rescue, but I know the other one lived in a house with 71 other dogs no. in like a hoarder situation out in Cabazon, out in the desert. And uh, so he's really super shy. Cause he's mm-hmm. not used to people. It's really interesting to see the way he behaves. And then I've got another puppy who's just like all over the place. And she obviously was raised in a, in a happy environment, but you know, the history of your dog, which is, yeah, which is cool. Yeah. She was just left on the street and she um, was picked up by an agent, an agency and um, called the little red dog. And mm. I was trying to get a dog during the pandemic. Cause my other doggy had passed away mm. and Twinkle was 13 and um, she was given to me by this very strange woman in um, in Las Vegas that I don't know. I ran a door, dog bordello, I think. I'm not sure. But, um, <laughs> but Twinkle had passed away and I wanted a dog. And it's hard to get a dog during the pandemic. And they were, you know, and I have a pool and you can't have a pool. And they want to look where the dog's going to be. And Yeah, I know. Isn't it crazy? Like I had to take a video of my backyard showing that I, I had fences exactly everywhere. So, well, well, okay. Go ahead. Well, my friend, um, one of my friends, uh, had a, a person who was um, fostering this dog, and she couldn't walk yet because she had a big cast on her leg, and she wasn't eating. And I went over because uh, it was again location, location, location. <laughs> she was close to my house, and um, I, I just took her and I said, "We'll get her better," and we got little Betsy better. Yeah, so she's I, a sweetheart. Oh, I don't know where. She loves dogs. She loves people. Oh. She plays. I mean, she's just, this dog has no issues like me so, or my daughter or my husband. <laughs> we all have issues. The dog is so well balanced. She just wants breakfast and love. That's it. And a little bit of dinner. Uh, yeah, well, listen, Rita, Rita, this has been uh, fantastic. 
Um, oh, well, well, thank you for having me. And, and you can see Rita at the South Point Casino in Las Vegas on November 28th, 29th, and 30th. Mm -hmm. She's at the McCallum Theater in Palm Desert on January 7th. And she's in Florida the rest of the time. That's true. That's true. And my daughter's coming home for Thanksgiving on Thursday, and I'm very excited. Ah, that's wonderful. Well, Rita, thank you so much. It's nice meeting Betsy, too. Thank you so much for coming on. We really, really appreciate this it. This is her app. I ask her to play the piano. Can you play the piano, please? Oh, that's good. The guitar. That's it. That's the extent of her talent. Awesome. Thank, thank you, Rita. Thank you for having Thanks, me. Nice to see you, Sue. Nice to see you, too, Steve. Bye. 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 Rita Rudner, who I did interview a long time ago. I found her to be so delightful, and she was equally delightful now. She's great. She's, you know, when I when I was talking about her act, how 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 tight it is, mm -hmm. and the fact that she dressed the way she dressed at a certain point, you know, there weren't a lot of women of our generation that were doing stand up at that time. Oh yeah, there were maybe there were maybe ten of us. That's it, you know. And and up for me, I always felt like. You know, sometimes, you know, the MC, MC would say stuff like, all right, so now we have a woman. Really? You know? And yeah, yeah. Now we have a woman, like we're like some different like species or something. <laughs> and it always felt like we're not real comedians. That was kind of the connotation. Like we're, we're, we have a woman, like we're novelty acts or something, uh. you know. And it was so rude. But I never wanted to dress too fancy or I used to wear contact lenses on stage because I didn't want to wear my glasses. I never wanted to do anything that would give the audience a reason not to like me. Hmm. Interesting. But, you know, she, you know, no one wore gowns on stage. Right. I, I mean, mean, that was kind of, she was, she, so was she brought elegance to comedy. She did. Yeah. She she's did. very, very classy and cool. And uh, she ruled Vegas for, as she said, 15, 20 years. I mean, she was she was Vegas. Um, well, there you have it. There's our Culture Pop podcast for today. Uh, hope you liked it. Um, I think it's great myself. Sue, don't you think it's great? <laughs> I think it's the best thing in the world. One of the best shows we've ever done. Uh, <laughs> if you are a fan of the show and you're watching it, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Go to YouTube.com and search Culture Pop Podcast. We'll pop right up. Also, also uh, you can follow us on Spotify and on Apple. Uh, podcasts and uh, subscribe uh, so we'll we'll show up in your uh, inbox every single week and sue i have something i have to ask you i just realized oh, you don't okay. have a mustache weren't, weren't you supposed to grow your mustache the entire month you, uh, what happened Is i gave up there i gave up why'd you give up okay well, isn't it isn't it kind of like a charity thing well it's a, an awareness thing awareness thing okay. yeah so, no. So I was invited to play in this Brian Cranston celebrity poker tournament on Sunday. And I thought, well, I'm not going to go there. There's all these celebrities there. We're not going to go there. And I have scrub on my nose and have everybody wondering what the hell's going on. So, I mean, I'm meeting Annette Benning. What, what am I, this little oh, how cool. scrub. I met Annette Benning. She is absolutely lovely. Uh, mm. Who else played? Brian Cranston. Obviously, it's his tournament. Um, Kevin Pollack was there. Jason Alexander was there. Bradley Whitford was there. Uh, just some of the people that, that pop up in my head there. Did Annette play? She did play. 
Yeah. Oh, she cool. didn't last long, but she played. Me and uh, Cranston, we made the final two tables. So I missed the final table by a little bit. And Brian did. We went out at about the same time. But both of us hung in there a long time. Ultimately, How did Pollock do? Because Pollock's an amazing poker Pollock player. went out early. Yeah, wow. Pollock went out early. Uh, Bradley Whitford is the one that took me out. And he apologized profusely by when he beat my two kings with a pair of aces. Oh, wow. He was very sorry. You, about you, it. you were probably thinking, I got this. Oh, I thought I had a pair it. Pair of kings. Pair of kings on the board. He had pocket aces. Good night. Yep, there you have cool. it. So, anyway, that's why I shaved my mustache. Okay. But please, if you're a dude, Remember to get your PSA test and uh, and and get your physical every year. And you know this the whole point of the mustache thing was to raise awareness for men's health. So hopefully my nine days with a mustache had a difference, had an impact because through I that's it's all about making a difference in the world. Well, you couldn't raise hair on your face, so <laughs> that's true. That's you raised true. awareness. You you raised the awareness that you can't grow, grow yes, a mustache. I did. I did. Um, all right. Well, there you have it. There's our Culture Pop podcast. Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks a lot for watching. And we will see you next time on the Culture Pop podcast.